Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm David Ross, and welcome to episode 13 of The Sun's new podcast, Israel's War on Terror. Israel's military leaders say its operation to destroy the Hamas terror group is shifting from intense battles to more targeted operations. IDF Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari has said the Israel Defense Forces are likely to use fewer ground troops in Gaza going forward. Casey Babb from the Institute for National Security Studies in Tel Aviv says the Hamas leadership is increasingly the focus. Many people have raised the raised the points that you you know it's challenging, if not impossible, to uh, completely eradicate Hamas from from the Gaza Strip. Um, which there's certainly some uh, some truth to that. That being said, uh, Israel has done quite a good job of degrading the capabilities, the military capabilities, and the uh, infrastructure, the vast infrastructure that the uh, terrorist group uses to, to carry out operations. So in that respect, it's gone, uh, it's gone quite well, but it's, it's a, a, a slog of a war, and there's still a long way to go. How do you see that operation changing and evolving in the next weeks and months? Well, I think the IDF has already begun operating and moving towards the, the sort of next phase of the war, so to speak. Um, and we're looking at uh, more targeted operations, uh, more precision, which is something that uh, Israel's allies and the international community have been calling for for quite some time. Uh, and we will probably see a continuation of Israel seeking to eliminate not only Hamas leadership, but Hezbollah leadership, and and frankly, uh, any of Israel's adversaries, uh, regardless of where they are in the world. That Hezbollah threat appears to be growing. There's some concern about an escalation in terms of more than one front in this in this conflict. Albeit there has been some, I, I guess, skirmishes is one label that, that some people uh, put in it. How concerned are you about the threat from Hezbollah? And we've seen purportedly an Israeli assassination of a Hamas leader in Beirut in the last weeks. Uh, how concerned are you about a, a potential for escalation? The potential is certainly there. And I know many people in the world, myself included, are, are concerned that things could spiral. Um, conflict, war, uh, history tells us that things can can spiral uh, quickly and and things can happen unpredictably. Uh, that's absolutely the case when it comes to Hezbollah. But at the same time, I don't believe that Hezbollah wants this to become a bigger issue than it already is, a bigger confrontation than it already is. And I believe that uh, Hassan Nasrallah has has uh, said as much. Um, they will probably continue uh, to sort of poke the bear, uh, Israel, uh, in a sense. But I, I don't imagine 
that Hezbollah wants to turn this into a full-scale operation where uh, uh, missiles and jets are, are flying over Beirut um, any more than they have been already. What would your advice be to Israel, the Israeli government and, and the IDF as it brings in its next phase of the war as pressure mounts to get the job done? Well, going forward, I would echo much of what the international community has said in terms of being uh, more precise, continuing to be precise, um, continuing to target um, high value assets uh, in terms of Hamas, in terms of Hezbollah, and, and of course, uh, continuing to seek uh, limited uh, civilian casualties, something that um, frankly, I believe Israel is among the best in the world when it comes to limiting civilian casualties. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, that's what, that's what I would, uh, um, hope that they would do going forward. Uh, but of course they're going to have to think very, very hard, uh, and strategically about what this is going to look like after these operations, after the second and third phase have wrapped up, what does it look like in terms of a, a long-term, uh, security in Gaza and governance in Gaza? And, and, uh, that's going to be a very, uh, uh challenging situation for the Israelis to be in. How far apart do you think America and Israel are in terms of their view of what the day after Hamas looks like? On the one hand, I don't think that there is much difference, um, much separation between both nations in terms of what they what they think that this should look like. Uh, the U.S., uh, the U.K., other nations, other nations that are very closely aligned and, and uh, um, great allies of Israel know what a precarious situation Israel is in to have tens of thousands of barbaric terrorists at their border. Um, but at the same time, they are not the ones in that neighborhood. And so I believe that there's probably some degree of um, uh, separation between them, just in terms of the fact that they don't really know what that's like. People in America don't know what it's like to live with um, a terrorist group uh, on their border, um, to have you know, Hamas to have an organization uh, akin to to ISIS living there as, as a threat. That's not something that uh, uh, people can really understand unless unless they've lived through it. And so I think in, in that respect, Israel could very well take steps or pursue measures that are hard for others to understand or appreciate. And indeed, they might disagree with. But unless you're there living with that threat and unless you know people or have family members or colleagues or friends who have been murdered by terrorists, um, it would be hard for people to, to, to really understand things. So there could be some um, separation there, but I think by and large, the international community, Israel's allies are on board with, with what they're going to do going forward. And how much do you think it plays on the minds of the international community that the the person they may be dealing with long term will not be Benjamin Netanyahu? His position is clearly going to be under some pressure in the wake of any investigation into intelligence failings. Protests are starting to build in Tel Aviv, amongst other other places. How do you feel the position of the current government in Israel uh, how secure do you think that is and what will be the implications of, of any change? Well, I think for the time being, Bibi, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, has to remain in the driver's seat uh, just in terms of continuity, in terms of carrying out the next phases of this war. But uh, to your point, shortly thereafter, 
I believe, uh, as do many others, uh, as you've suggested, that it's time for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his government to move on. And going forward in terms of the next phases, uh, um, in terms of governing Gaza, what does that look like in the future? It can't be Netanyahu. It can't be this government that um, controls that or dictates that and, and that carries out those operations. I actually think that if another government comes in, another prime minister comes in, that would add legitimacy to Israel's uh, approach to a post-war Gaza um, going forward. So I think it's time for, for Bibi to go and somebody else to come in, but not right now. How significant do you think of an issue is events in Israel and the Middle East when it comes to the upcoming U.S. elections? And how might the strategy of the U.S. change depending on whether that is a Trump administration, a Biden administration or, or an so far unnamed other? Well, that's a great point. Uh, and I know that's something that people are starting to think about a great deal now. Um, on the one hand, you know, there's been many people in America who have been displaced with Biden's support of the war. Um, but I believe that, that that is a very vocal minority. It's my understanding that the majority of Americans see um, uh, see a role for America in the Middle East, see a role for, for American leadership when it comes to Israel and supporting Israel. Uh, but going forward, that could be a, um, a challenging sort of tightrope for for uh, uh, leading uh, politicians to, to walk. Really, uh, I'm not sure that uh, it's going to matter a great deal, but it, it could be certainly a, a peripheral issue that is brought up. America has a ton of internal challenges that I think people are more concerned with. So like I said, at the same time, they care about these things, but they probably care about the price of gas, the price of food, housing, more than they do what's going on in the Middle East. So um, it, it remains to be seen. Sometimes the price of gas and things like that are impacted by uh, ev events uh, overseas. And, and there must be some talk at a high level about how to take on the Iran issue. It's their proxies that are causing the chaos across the region. How convinced are you that America is ready to either more seriously, economically or militarily impact Tehran? I'm not sure that at the present time, America um, is well prepared to confront Tehran. Given what we've seen, uh, I've been quite surprised by the lack of um, attention um, politically, militarily that America has paid to confronting the threat that comes out of Iran. Uh, and this threat is only going to get worse. I mean, they're continuing to move towards um, a nuclear weapon. They're continuing to support operations, uh, terrorist operations from uh, Lebanon to, to the Gaza Strip to elsewhere. And they're using countries around the world, including Canada and, and the UK, to uh, fund, to finance their operations, to recruit, uh, and to, to plan phases of, of uh, you know, their future confrontations with Israel and, and, of course, with America. So I think people need to wake up. Um, uh, the Americans, Canada, other nations and say, you know, if we don't address the threats emanating from Tehran soon, uh, it might be too late. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a, a broader, a larger scale military um, confrontation with Tehran in the near future. And as is always the case with events overseas, there are movements, 
that try and seize on these opportunities to cause problems at home. The rise of anti-Semitism in Canada, in the UK and in, in America since October the 7th has been even more shocking than, than many experts predicted. What's your take on that? How do you see that developing and what is the solution? I mean, in terms of anti-Semitism uh, around the world since October 7th, it's been appalling, but I, I'm, um, I'm not sure many people are as surprised as we think they are. I mean, this has been going on for years. Anti-Semitism has been unrelenting um, for, for 100 years, and people say that it, um, you know, it has to do with Israel, and it's because of Israel. Uh, the, the government's actions in Israel that we, you know, this isn't about Jew hatred, this is about um, politics and politicians. And in fact, that's completely off the mark. Um, the reason that Israel exists is because of anti-Semitism. It's not the other way around. And we're seeing a historic spike in hate crimes uh, across the world. And, and, you know, really, David, if, if somebody is more uh, emotional, um, if if they feel more agitated by seeing the Israeli flag than they do an ISIS banner or the flag of uh, Hezbollah or Hamas, we've got a real problem. And governments really need to crack down on this. And entire communities, frankly, need to be de-radicalized. Um, Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and more needs to be done. Now, what that looks like, uh, I'm not sure. And how should governments be treating it? Is this kind of a now a national security issue? It certainly is a national security issue. It's something that I've been saying for quite some time. Uh, and what I, I wrote about recently in the Globe and Mail is that anti-Semitism needs to be treated as a national security issue because it is at the root. It is a core pillar of terrorist propaganda, of terrorist planning, of operations, of the way that they think. And this ranges from radical Islam through to white supremacists. Um, Jew, hatred, Jew hatred transcends the political spectrum. You see it on the far right, you see it on the far left. And really, it's, it's not as fringe as we like to think it is. It's not fringe. Um, it is become normal. And it again, it is at the heart of the way that radical individuals think. And it always has been. And if people don't start treating it as a threat to national security and finding ways to snuff it out, uh, more people, more innocent people will die in the West. What is your biggest fear when you look at the situation in the Middle East and the anti-Semitism back home? My biggest fear is that it becomes so bad for the Jewish community throughout Western countries that they actually need to go to Israel. I mean, that would be a uh, um, sort of a, a terrible um, cyclical situation to be in. You know, the late great uh, Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, uh, once said something to the effect of, I can live um, in a world outside of Israel, but I can't live in a world without Israel. And what he meant by that is, you know, at the end of the day, he and every other Jew outside of Israel need to know that they have a place to go if things get bad enough. And right now, things are trending in a terrible direction. And my sort of nightmare scenario, worst case scenario, is that we find ourselves in a situation where there's a max large-scale exodus of Jews from the West back to Israel. Um, that would be terrible. Um, and if people don't act, if governments don't start cracking down on this, that's what you're going to see. What, if anything, is giving you a nugget of hope? Despite the um, 
the um, loud minority, I like to believe that the majority of people in the West, um, even people beyond Europe, uh, Canada, the US, understand that Hamas, that Hezbollah, that the mullahs in Tehran are threat actors, that they're terrible individuals, and that there is a sort of concerted effort here to undermine you know, Western values, Western liberal democracies, and that these individuals, that these groups really are a threat to our way of life. I am sort of trying to remain a glass half full um, person when it comes to this. And despite the, um, the, the protests, despite the chants, despite the rhetoric, I think that, they, that the majority of people are rational and that they see that these are evil actors and that the writing is on the wall. And I think people will continue to stand up for Israel and that uh, Israel will prevail, of course, and that the West will prevail. And if Hamas is wiped out and if a suitable governing body is brought in, how confident are you that somewhere down the line that peace has a chance? I still believe that peace does have a chance. I continue to remind myself that these issues in the grand scheme of things are relatively new. If we look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Arab-Israeli conflict, we're looking further back than 1948 than the reestablishment of Israel. But again, when, we, when we're looking at time and generations, these issues are going to take probably another generation to improve. They're not as old in some ways as people think they are. And I believe that peace can be achieved. We've seen with the Abraham Accords that Israel has um, reached peace, peace treaties, uh, diplomatic relations with uh, a number of, of Muslim countries, a number of Arab countries. And I believe more of that is around the corner. A lot of these countries, also see Hamas as a threat, Hezbollah as a threat, and, and you know radical thinkers and radical groups as a threat to their own nations. And again, to your previous question, I think that countries like Saudi Arabia um, see that there is a role here for, for them and Israel together to play in combating these threats in their neighborhood going forward. So I do think peace will be achieved, but it's going to take time. And uh, I do believe it's going to take a, a multinational sort of effort to, to get there. Casey Babb from the Institute for National Security Studies in Tel Aviv. Well, this next military phase comes as the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, has been asked to hear a case brought by South Africa as to whether Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinians in Gaza. It does not have the backing of most Western countries, including the US and the UK. Earlier I spoke with Anne Herzberg, legal advisor at NGO Monitor, who explained why Israel so vehemently rejects the accusation which it considers baseless. So unlike uh, many activities that are going on at the UN that are targeting Israel, in this case... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Israel is participating in the International Court of Justice proceedings that were brought by South Africa quite egregiously, in my opinion. They are, they engaged a very well-known British academic, Malcolm Shaw, who has appeared before the ICJ on several occasions. And they have also appointed as an ad hoc judge to the panel, a former um, Israeli Supreme Court president and luminary, Aaron Barak, who's, who's um, you know, he had a tremendous renown uh, worldwide for his jurisprudence. Um, so I think these speak to, you know, how Israel is taking this seriously, not because the charges have merit, but I think because in this case and the platform, Israel really wants to make its case for the world and expose how these claims made by South Africa, most of them are completely false. Um, and, and just how, um, you know, absurd it is to turn on its head what happened to accuse Israel of committing genocide. How concerned are you that Israel will not get a fair hearing in in this case? I mean, I'm very concerned, to tell you the truth. Um, I think in most of these bodies, Israel does not get a fair hearing. Um, Part of the problem is the judges are political appointments. So I'm not sure that the panel composition anyway would be favorable to Israel. Um, The other big problem with these proceedings is they rely heavily on UN documents and reports. And as I've known in my work, you know, the vast majority of these reports are cobbled together from NGO claims. They're not verified. Um, They, you know, just repeat propaganda from terror groups. Um, A lot of the claims are false. I mean, we've, we, at NGO Monitor, we've identified many false claims in these types of documents and the court does not take a critical eye nor does it have the resources to um to do a proper inquiry into these documents as a domestic court would do so um i unfortunately do not expect israel to get a fair hearing but at least with people like malcolm sean aaron barack it, it, it will help at least a little bit what is the impact of a ruling that goes against Israel? What will that mean for any action on the ground? And is it not a case that people, when it comes to Israel, have made up their minds? So this proceeding at the International Court of Justice is going to take place in two parts. The first part is what is known as a provisional measures hearing akin to a an injunction hearing in uh, in the United States and I think the UK, they also call it that, where South Africa has asked for Israel to stop, the court to order Israel to stop fighting and to ask for all of these, um, for the court to order all of these um, decisions that could really impact Israel's military effort. The second part will be later, that could even be many years from now, and that will look at the genocide claims in depth. But the first part, if the court, you know, makes a 
a, a ruling that Israel must stop fighting. I don't, I don't expect it'll go that far. I, I think it'll go far in some of the other things asked for. Um, the main impact of that, obviously Israel's not going to agree to that if they, if they order Israel to stop fighting. I think the main impact of it, and I don't think countries like the U.S. or even the U.K. would follow this ruling, but I think it could have impact. It's more for, let's say, uh, the BDS boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement to kind of bolster them. Um, it also bolsters Hamas propaganda and those promoting these these uh, protests that we've seen across Western capitals where they're you know engaging in rioting, disrupting uh, public infrastructure. So I think that's really what what the import of of this ruling is going to be. So just creating more chaos, frankly. And it's not legally binding in the eyes of of the world. I, some countries will see it that way, um, but I don't think uh, most Western countries will will see it that way. In terms of the situation on the ground right now, it appears that the IDF has shifted to a new phase of the war. How do you see things developing throughout the next few months and twenty twenty four? Yeah, I think the next phase. So it it appears mostly in northern Gaza, things are winding down. So it's more like a maintenance phase there. But now it's shifting to the south, Khan Yunus, um, Shajaya, I believe, is is farther to the south. And this was really where Hamas had its infrastructure dug in. That's where they think Sinwar is hiding in tunnels. I think it's going to be extremely complicated the next couple of phases in the South, um, given the um, the fact that they think a lot of the hostages are located there now, that if they are still alive. Um, so I think we're going to see some very tough fighting in the next couple months. I think there will be low intensity conflict probably the rest of the year, unfortunately. Um, and then all eyes are going to shift to the North. Um, you know, and then also just in terms of Gaza, you're going to have just post post conflict. What's going to happen? Who who's going to come in to fill the vacuum when Hamas is eliminated? What's going to be with the UN agencies, um, UNRWA especially? That's really been uh, it seems to be collaborating, not a, if not collaborating with Hamas. You know, a lot of Hamas members appear to be part of UNRWA. Um, you know, so that that's going to be a whole um, area that's going to have to be looked at by donor governments going forward. Um, but really, in terms of intensity conflict, it's going to, I think, shift in the next several months away from Gaza to the north. It's interesting what you say about some of these aid organizations, which on the face of it appear to be to be well intentioned. But the reality often ends with them being compromised on the ground by by terror groups, sometimes through fear, sometimes through desire, it, it's it's quite difficult to to determine. How much more difficult does that make it in terms of getting the hostages back? Kafir Bibas celebrates in inverted commas uh, a one year birthday in tunnels right now. Yeah, it's it's a tremendous challenge. I mean, first of all, it's hard to know given the comments we've been hearing on social media for sure and also of this i mean really you have to look at it from a uh 19 years almost program of aid diversion i mean just to set up the tunnel networks we've been seeing exposed these aid agencies it's hard to believe they didn't know it was happening even if they weren't actively helping 
they had to know what was going on, you know, so it's hard to know how much effort is really going on the ground from the international community to help the hostages. I know there's, I, one of my friends, their son is being held hostage. So I know from their end, how frustrated and upset they've been with ICRC and the apparent lack of will to really help the families or the hostages Part of, the, part of it is I believe the ICRC is afraid that their staff on the ground could be endangered by Hamas, but at the same time, their role is humanitarian and to help hostages. That's one of the reasons the agency was set up. Um, so it, it's a tremendous problem. Um, I, I feel the international community has shown very little sympathy or efforts towards the hostages. It's been terrible. In terms of what happens next after Hamas is eliminated, as you alluded to before, how encouraged are you by the words of, of Blinken this week, who says he's spoken to parts of the Arab world and there appears to be an appetite for a, for a road to peace? How genuine do you believe that to be? I hope it's genuine. Um, I, I do believe you know countries like Egypt, the UAE, uh, may, maybe even Saudi Arabia are willing to help. Um, I think there needs to be a paradigm shift that needs to keep continuing where we don't get these double messages where these countries are saying one thing in private and a different thing to their publics. I think that really needs to change. I think the main challenge, though, is going to be who who are acceptable actors to the people of Gaza, uh, because if the people on the ground don't find these actors credible, then I'm not sure how things are going to change. So to me, that that's really the main thing to look out for. Who 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 will they accept as as potential leadership in helping uh, that territory get reconstructed? That's a really interesting point about what the people of Gaza see as a genuine leadership option, because. If you have been educated since birth to hate Israel, hate Jews, hate the West, then it's almost inevitable, isn't it, that they don't see an option, they don't see hope, and so they are drawn potentially to a terror group like, like Hamas. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just an awful situation, and I'm not sure... You know, even if people have spoken about the PA coming in, the Palestinian Authority that governs in the West Bank, and um, I'm not sure how much credibility even they have uh, in Gaza at the moment. They haven't for a while. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge to look at, at paradigms. I think it's worth looking at, you know, maybe in the UAE, how, how their education system is changing um and trying to bring that in but i think this is going to be a many decades process it's going to have to start with the kids um and th and that's really the only way that that there's going to be a new reality and what of the israeli government the current israeli government how likely do you think it is that once inquiries into intelligence failings etc come through that netanyahu uh, and this very right wing government can can survive? And also, how irresponsible do you think some of the comments that have come out during the course of, of the last three months have been? And, and how do that, does that play into the, 
the these these hearings, these claims from the likes of South Africa, uh, how unhelpful uh, is it? I think many of the comments have been very unhelpful. I do think, though, it's important to point out that the people making those comments are not the people that are in charge of the policy decisions in Gaza. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, so they are not responsible for that. Um, so it's a bit uh, egregious for the South Africans to cherry pick statements by parliamentarians that have no impact on what's actually going on to support their claims. It's 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 very uh, disingenuous, dishonest, in my opinion. Um, and but I do think those actors should think twice before they say things like they've been saying. And then in terms of of um, definitely there needs to be an inquiry. That that is of the utmost priority because it, the security failings of October seventh are, you know, the worst in Israel's history, um, and I'm not sure the government can survive even afterwards. You know, in the polls right now, Likud is way down, um, and I think the country will probably want new leadership when, at you know, when this. When the conflict has died down enough, such that that um, political process can get back into full swing, who do you think might emerge as the next leader of Israel? Somebody who can unify the country and potentially uh, join a, a road to peace? Yeah, I mean, Benny Gantz is doing very well in the polls, um, so I think at the moment he seems to be standing out. Yir Lapid has has stood out, but his party is, um, you know, not as high up based on the last polls I saw. Naftali Bennett, I think, had uh, quite a bit of popularity. And then it could be there'll be new figures that emerge. But I think the the people that were in the last government, you know, again, I think right now seem to be the um, most likely choices, I would say. And as the situation develops, how well do you think Israel is coping with the the media war? There's a, obviously a, a military war on the ground, but there is a, a war of, of, of perception, a war of ideas going on. And that stretches from appearances on, on TV news to college campuses. How well do you think Israel has responded to this huge demand for comment. Yeah, I mean, I think two things. I think the government has been doing a much better job than it has in past conflicts. Uh, so there's a figure, Elon Levy, who's a spokesperson, who's been quite popular, and has been doing a great job in his interviews. Um, the, the IDF is putting out a lot more information um, in much uh, faster timeframe than in previous conflicts. Um, but of course, you know, it, <laughs> there's a sort of a tidal wave of of anti-Israel sentiment uh, globally and in the media. And I think on the ground, Israelis, you know, are frustrated with it, but we expect it uh, because it's it's it happens routinely when these kinds of things flare up. And really, given what happened on October 7th, Israelis don't really care all that much because there's one objective in mind, getting rid of Hamas. We have so many challenges on the ground here. We have several hundred thousand people not in their homes. Uh, the North is a huge question at the moment. There's 80,000 people in hotels who can't go back home until that border is settled. Um, you know, people out of work, 300,000 people supposedly fighting. Um, so we have such tremendous um, 
things going on in this country that, you know, it, 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 we just can't be concerned about, you know, we're obviously concerned about it, but we, that we can't let that, the negative sentiment take away from what needs to be done first on the ground here. That is an interesting point that you made, though. How long, realistically, can Israel conduct a military campaign simply due to the economic impact? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tremendous strain on the economy. I mean, also the most of the agriculture sector was down south or on the northern border, so we have that issue. People out of work. Um, it, it's a huge problem, um, but again. You know, you have to secure the borders and get rid of of these influences that are causing so much havoc on the territory. So, you know, I don't I don't know, but we're going to be going through some very challenging times, I think, although based on the things I've seen um, in terms of investment still in the country and, and the uh, shekel rates, you know, I think things are holding steady at the moment. Um, but that that's definitely a factor that's going to play into things. What, if anything, is giving you hope? Um, I think the things that are giving me hope are how united the country is. So we were having tremendous division and protests prior to this. And the way in which everyone has come together to help each other, regardless of political views um, and regardless of ethnicity, um, Jews, Arabs, Druze, Christians, Muslims, you know, everyone has really come together in the country. I was very worried about that splintering. Um, on October 7th, given what had happened in 2021, but the country is very united. Um, so that, that's been of tremendous hope. Um, I also do think globally, at least in the West, there's a silent majority that supports Israel, even if the, you know, the loudest actors are on the side of Hamas, but I believe most people are on the side of, you know, justice and, um, want to rid the world of these terror elements. Um, so I think those things are helpful and I'm hopeful about that. And also I'm hopeful on, even on the anti-Semitism front, even though there is, um, again, these horrible protests and things that we've been seeing on the streets and on university campuses, the one other hopeful thing I have, which I think distinguishes it from previous times in history is we have, the governments are very supportive and protect and want to protect the Jewish population, which is not what we saw, you know, in other times. And I think that's a huge difference. Um, so that those things keep me going. Anne Herzberg there, legal advisor at NGO Monitor. Well, that brings an end to this week's episode of Israel's War on Terror. You can search for more installments wherever you typically get your podcasts. Please let us know in the comments if you've any issues you'd like us to tackle and we'll do our best to take them on in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.